Hey, podcast people. How are you doing? This is Ann Althaus, your podcaster, your blogger. And I didn't put up a podcast yesterday, so I have two days worth to deal with. So I don't know how long this is going to be. We'll see how into expatiating I happen to be. Maybe I'll maybe I'll go long. I have a lot of things to cover. I was very short in my last podcast, and then the next day I didn't do a podcast at all. You might be thinking, oh, Althaus is, she's she's ending the podcast. She's petering out. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm actually podcasting from the car, not from a moving car. I'm in a parked car. Don't ask me how I got into this situation. I don't have any problems. It's not a problem. I'm simply waiting in a parked car situation. There's no problem, but. If this sounds different, or if I seem to be in an odd mood of whatever sort, it might be because I am in a parked car. The first thing I want to talk about was the first post yesterday, which was a quote from Joe Biden. And he said, I find this more embarrassing for the country than debilitating for my ability to get started. And that was in a New York Times article called More people may die because of Trump's transition delay, Biden says, adopting a graver tone. The president-elect said that President Trump's refusal to authorize a transition could have deadly consequences. It's funny reading that this morning when uh, the news is that we've got the vaccine and it's 95% effective and there's no side effects. It's just fine. Uh, we should be so celebratory. This should be so great. But there's such a dark mood, at least as it's presented in the press, that I'm not seeing the joy, the celebration that we should have. More people will die because the transition. Is that really true? Does he really believe that? And also, if he does, why is he saying, I find this more embarrassing for the country than debilitating for my ability to get started? He'd said, if we have to wait until January 20th to start that planning to distribute the vaccine, it puts us behind. More people may die if we don't coordinate, close quote. And I said, and yet the embarrassment for the country is the real problem. Why would embarrassment be a greater problem than actually complicating the transition? And I thought of four possible answers, and then I put up a poll for you to Pick the one that you think was the best explanation for why he made this statement. I find it more embarrassing for the country than debilitating for my ability to get started. One, Biden is mentally weak and none of his assertions stand up to close scrutiny. This literal parsing isn't worth our trouble. No one should care about this level of precision. The mainstream media won't. By the way, that one got the most votes by far. Two, Biden blurted out the truth. He's not really having any serious trouble with the transition, but he wants the credit and dignity he deserves for his accomplishment winning the election. He cares about how it looks, and it looks bad. It's embarrassing. Three, it's a crafty statement designed A, to assure people that the Biden administration can and will deal with all challenges that may arise, including any Trump interference with the transition, and B, to pressure Trump, a man known for his vanity, 
who may enjoy making life harder for Biden, but who just might relent if he thinks he's not effective at all, but merely embarrassing himself and the country he said he'd make great. And four, America's image in the world is actually more important than the reality of how well the vaccine is distributed and exactly how many people live or die, or so Biden believes. Um, so you can see that the one, the, I think the the three, that the first one which got the most votes is the one that presents Biden as the weakest. And the second one has Biden inadvertently letting the truth slip out, which is also fairly weak. The third one is the one where Biden is actually operating at a high level. And the fourth one is a little bit of realism that uh, maybe maybe you would like to admit. Now, the top vote getter there was, um, let's see, I have to click on a button to show the results. Oh, sorry for the dead air while the, okay. 50% of you said Biden is just so weak, it's not worth trying to examine what he means. And the truth slipped out, got 30%. So those first two options, which portray Biden as weak, get 80% of the votes. 10% went to the idea, that, that the one that presented him is actually quite clever and crafty. And 4% was the, uh, I mean, I mean uh, 9% went to the final option. The one that said, it actually does matter more whether we're embarrassed or not than um, than whether there are problems with getting the vaccine distributed. The second post from yesterday was from an article, was from an editorial. The editorial board of the Washington Post put out an editorial titled, One More Lame Defense You Hear From Republicans. Democrats did this to Mr. Trump, but that's false too. And uh, Democrats did indeed focus on Russia's assistance. You know, so why is it false, right? It, you, when you have, um, yeah, let me see. I think I miscopied that. Uh, yeah, I miscopied the title of the editorial. I'm just catching this now. The headline, at least what it is now, is the longer Republicans cower to Trump, the more damage they do to democracy. And this is saying that the Republicans should stop supporting Trump in his effort to overturn the election or to portray it as a fraud. One defense for Trump that you're hearing from Republicans is, according to the Washington Post, Democrats did this to Mr. Trump, and the Washington Post editors say that's false too. And here's how they explain why they're saying that's false. Democrats did indeed focus on Russia's assistance to Mr. Trump's election campaign, but they did not claim that he wasn't president. Hillary Clinton immediately conceded. President Barack Obama invited Mr. Trump to the White House and attended the inauguration. And I said, the lame defense is put into words that seem easy to refute. The words are, Democrats did this to Mr. Trump. Did what? I mean, you're portraying people as making a defense, but you're not stating their defense in a strong enough way. So you may, it's really kind of a straw man fallacy. 
you're making it easy for the defense to be refuted by stating it in such a weak way. Democrats did this to Mr. Trump. The word this carries a silly amount of weight. What is this? What are these Republicans actually saying the Democrats did to Trump? And how does it compare to what Trump and his supporters are doing to Biden now? And which is worse? Democrats didn't just focus on Russia's assistance. I won't take the time to write out all that the Democrats did over the entire Trump presidency. And Hillary Clinton immediately conceded because the outcome was obvious on the first day. How would she have behaved if it had been close and open-ended, as close and open-ended as the 2020 election? Well, we kind of know the answer to that because before the election in 2020, she said Biden should never concede and that it might look like Trump had won at first, but he should not concede. He should not concede. She said it very firmly. So I don't think, uh, uh, I think that what the Democrats did to Trump after his win in 2016 was terrible and it persisted through the entire presidency. And I think that they would have behaved with a similar kind of intransigence if they'd have lost this time too. And I think there would have been more rioting in the streets and actual scary violence if if the tables had been turned. So lame defense. I think that was a lame accusation of lameness. Next post uh, is from an article about Mo Willems, the children's writer. And he's quoted, I thought this was interesting because I'm interested in the question of aging. But he said, um, my dream from the time I was probably seven or eight was to be 50. That was just always my goal. But you have to accept that you are where you are. Like whatever it is, that's kind of what it is. It's probably not going to get a lot better. Probably not going to get a lot worse, but I mean, nobody said to me, you're going to be a, you're going to be struggling as an artist for X number of years, and then it's going to work out. When you're younger, you wake up and you work. You don't know if anyone's even going to see it. You don't even have a space to do it in. Now I have a drawing table. I press a button and the light turns on and I can trace things. I have that accessible to me at any time. I get to dress weird. I get to have long hair. I'm going to get a tattoo. People say, how are you going to feel when you're old and you have that thing? I'm already old. And I said, since we talked about embarrassment two posts down, I should include this. Is embarrassment about unstructured creativity why parents stop drawing? Embarrassment is a learned disease. It can be cured. It's about willingness to fail, close quote. I think that's very interesting, embarrassment. I suffered a lot from, I I just, when I was young, thought embarrassment was just so, so terrible. And I really tried very hard to avoid embarrassment. And, uh, you know, I've always been very vulnerable to uh, being accused of embarrassing myself or embarrassment. Oh, I would really push a button with me to try to get me to do that. But this is a terrible vulnerability. If you're afraid of being embarrassed, uh, you'll just hide away. You won't do anything. Uh, One thing about Trump, I would say, is um, he he accepts the embarrassment. I mean, so many things about him and and things that people ultimately, the people who like him find lovable um, are are just outrageously embarrassing. 
just be embarrassing. Take the chance. Like a little kid that uh, is trying to learn to speak or trying to learn to walk. An adult would be embarrassed by all of that stuff, but they learn a lot because they don't have the embarrassment element yet. So maybe one ought to try to get over being so easily embarrassed. Now, this part disturbed me, though. Willems is estranged from his parents. Quote, when I start started to see some of the harmful behavior that had happened to me, starting to be moved over to my child by them, that was the line. Also, his only child is trans. He said one of the great things about queer kids in this culture is that they have to have done the work. They have to do the questioning and say, who am I? What am I? Where am I in society? What risks am I willing to take or not take in order to be authentic? Next, we see a New York Times op-ed by Aaron E. Carroll, who is a pediatrics professor at the Indiana University School of Medicine. And the title of his op-ed is, Schools Should Be the Last Things We Close not the first. Why do we keep asking the children to bear the brunt of a lockdown? And I quoted a little bit of that. Cases have definitely been more common in school-age kids this fall, but when schools do the right things, those infections are not transmitted in the classroom. They're occurring for the most part when children go to parties, when they have sleepovers, and when they're playing sports inside and unmasked. The play book for keeping schools as safe as possible has been understood for many months. Our schools are not, for the most part, prepared to deliver high-quality educational content online. Kids are also social animals and need safe in-person interactions for their mental health and development. Closing schools also exacerbates social and economic disparities. Students who fall behind will have an incredibly difficult time catching up. Almost everything else should be put on pause first. This is what Europe is doing. No one can explain why, once again, the United States is choosing its own path. And I said, my hypothesis would be that both Europe and the United States are putting the interests of adults first. And the difference is which adults, parents or teachers. So I think in the United States, the teachers have a lot of power and it's the teachers' interests who are being that are being prioritized as we keep our children out of in-person school. And uh, the, it would be better for the parents if the kids could get out of the house and into school. But uh, the parents have less clout vis-a-vis the teachers than in Europe. That's just a hypothesis. So check it out. I don't, I don't actually really know. It's just the guess that I'm going with. Let's see what we have next. Um, Oh, this was the last post yesterday, other than the cafe, the open thread, where you can talk about whatever you want. It was something that was reported in the Mississippi Free Press, and this is a quote from the president of the state health office, talking to Mississippians. He said, this is how they talk to their, the government talks to the citizens in Mississippi. Quote, we don't really want to see Mama at Thanksgiving and bury her by Christmas. It's going to happen. You're going to say hi at Thanksgiving. It's so nice to see you. And you're either going to be visiting her by FaceTime 
in the ICU are planning a small funeral by Christmas. And uh, they also had a doctor that warned if you travel, you'd better drive with special care because there's nowhere for you to go if you have a car wreck. Well, so that's pretty dire. Now, today's blog started off with some with a New York Times article, The Thanksgiving Myth Gets a Deeper Look This Year for Many Native Americans. The COVID-19 toll and the struggle over racial inequity makes this high time to re-examine the holiday and a cruel history. And I quoted a woman named Liz Jacola, who is 52 and a member of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. And she was recalling the catharsis she felt as a young woman watching the movie Adam's Family Values, which is a 1993 movie. She said, I was like, oh my gosh, other people get it too. They realize how ridiculous the whole image of Thanksgiving is. Now, wait a minute. I have a little car issue. And here's how the New York Times clipped out what the character in Adam's Family Values said. In one scene, this is quoting from the New York Times, the Wednesday character, this is Christina Ritchie, cast as Pocahontas in a children's Thanksgiving play, goes off script to take violent revenge on the pilgrims. You have taken the land which is rightfully ours, she calmly seethes. Years from now, my people will be forced to live in mobile homes on reservations. Your people will wear cardigans and drink highballs. And I said, so that's how this article goes on with a lot about the Thanksgiving myth gets a deeper look this year. For many Native Americans, the COVID-19 toll and the struggle over racial inequality make this high time to re-examine the holiday and a cruel history. And I said, is this year a particularly good time to revisit the negative side of the origins of Thanksgiving? At first, I thought, no. For millions of Americans, Thanksgiving is a tradition within their own family story. And that tradition is sadly disrupted by the pandemic. Many of us have recently lost loved ones. And we've all suffered for almost a year from the enforced distance from family and friends. And that separation feels especially awful with the approach of Thanksgiving, the holiday that has come to mean gathering indoors with a big group of people we love. It's about love, family, and food. Not being upper middle class, which is what the cardigans and highballs business is supposed to mean. But then I thought, sure, why not? Why not pile on and kick people while they're down? We're already feeling terrible. Give us something else to feel terrible about. We're deprived of loving warmth. We'd come to expect at this time of year. So fling open the window and make it as cold as possible. Can't do Thanksgiving this year? Well, you should have never been doing Thanksgiving anyway. So let's just call this year one of America without Thanksgiving. And let's try to think of other sacrifices you need to make. Stop asking, what am I thankful for? Start asking, what more can I give up? So now I'm being a little sarcastic. Uh, you know, we're already giving up a lot. It's especially staring us in the face as Halloween, I mean, uh, Thanksgiving approaches. And uh, is this the time to bring up the issue that in fact gets brought up every year? 
that the story of Thanksgiving as I don't know who remembers it from their childhood days is not as rosy and friendly as some people, I don't know who, likes to think. I think we all know the actual story more or less one way or the other. Um, is this the time to say, hey, look at look at uh, what's wrong with your idea of of America, your Thanksgiving fantasy. You know, I, I really don't think when most people celebrate Thanksgiving, they're that involved with the story of the pilgrims and the Indians. I think it's a lot more about the story within your own family of what you do at Thanksgiving, who you get together with, what trips you take, how you act, what you eat. Um, what you what whether you watch the football or whatever it is or not, and um, I, I really think that uh, that's what people want. That's what people feel deprived of, and to use this as an occasion to make people feel even worse about the simple holiday that is basically just about having dinner with your family. Can't even have that anymore without it being made into a problem. We've already heard the problem. We've heard it many times before. But it seems to be important to um, to rub it in this year. For many Native Americans, the COVID-19 toll and the struggle over racial inequality make this high time to. Re- so the idea that 2020 is the year to do it has seems to have to do with number one that Native Americans have suffered an unusually large number of losses from COVID-19. So COVID-19 has been harder on them. And also that it's been a year of Black Lives Matter and these riots and so forth, paying attention to racial issues. And so that might be make it advantageous to pile on with this other issue of how Native Americans were treated. It's not the same as how Black people are treated by the police in recent years, but it's another racial thing. So why not throw them all out there at once? Or it's an opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Okay, well, um, I see that um, the New York Times has a piece, a Trump memoir would sell. Will publishers buy it? Some publishing executives worry their authors and staff might rebel, but they say their bigger concern would be ensuring the book's accuracy. And I have a I pulled out a quote from Celeste Eng, a best-selling novelist, who says she'd protest if her publisher, Penguin Random House, was going to publish a Trump memoir. She said, "We have every reason to believe a Trump memoir would be primarily misinformation, ungrounded opinions, and flat-out lies. Don't pay him to do it." And don't give him the legitimacy of a contract with a major publishing house. You're going to set yourself up as a gatekeeper. If, you, if you're going to set yourself up as a gatekeeper, you have a responsibility for what goes through your gate. But then they also quoted Stephen King, who hates Trump. And he took uh, the free speech side. He said, anything he wrote would be a pack of self-serving lies. But I believe in the freedom of the people to read what they want. And I hate censorship. Let him publish if he wants. I hope my publisher won't be the one to do it. But in any case, I can't wait to see the critics take him apart. And I said, notice 
that the free speech position denies your opponent the glow of victimhood and gets the speech out there where it can be attacked. Anyway, obviously Trump will get his book published. The president of the conservative publisher Regnery is quoted saying, I'm hoping the other publishers will stand by their principles and not get involved so we have a better chance of picking it up. And everyone knows that Trump could self-publish his book like he self-publishes his tweets. People, The New York Times seems to think he needs the big payout, you know, when he gets out of office, like the way the Obamas got, I think, $65 million. So maybe he, because it's known that his book will be a big bestseller, maybe he can just get a big package of money. But I really don't think that that kind of money is going to work for him or be significant for him. I think he's got a lot more money, and to the extent that his businesses are in trouble, I suppose, the travel industry, isn't it? Hotels and golf clubs and so forth. Um, He's got his various problems, but it's not the sort of thing that $65 million is going to help him much with. So I uh, I don't think the idea that he's just going to be eager to get a big advance is going to be much of an answer, and he might be better off self publishing and keeping keeping the profits for himself. The publishers want to withhold their stamp, of, seeming stamp of approval if they say they're going to publish it. It seems like they're standing behind it or vouching for it or saying it's worthy. You know, there, there really is that to publishing. And to say, I don't want to publish your book isn't censorship because the publishers are censoring almost everybody that way. Ever try to get a book published? Maybe you wrote a book. Did it get published? Did it get published by one of the top five publishers? Probably not. If it did, good for you. That's very nice for you. I'm impressed. Here's something else in the New York Times. But I read a lot of New York Times this morning. Somebody in the comments was like, why are you reading this stuff? And I'm like, why are you reading my blog? Uh, Haven't you noticed uh, you're reading something that is basically about finding things in the New York Times and in the Washington Post and the New Yorker and New York Magazine and New York Review of Books, all the various uh, lofty, uh, highly regarded elite media. That's what I read. I read elite media. And I don't, unlike most uh, bloggers, I don't, uh, I don't, link to things because I think they're good. I link to things usually because I see a problem of some kind that I want to talk about. I don't, I don't, I never was able to be that kind of blogger where I just see a lot of things that I like and link to it and say, hey, look, this is good. This is good. This is good. I mean, uh, I don't really see that maybe because I don't read blogs that much. I just read the newspaper like I always have, like I learned to do when I was a, you know, uh, an eighth grader. Read the newspaper. We used to re- have to read the New York Times in school. We used to have to read the the um, read Newsweek in school. You know, I learned to read that, and we were taught to read critically. So that's what I do. I read and look for things. So here's this thing. It's a column by Frank Bruni. Was it worth it, Jared and Ivanka? The glossiest grifters become Vuitton vagabonds. Vuitton Vagabonds is a nice alliteration, and uh, it might just roll past you, but uh, Vuitton is a a luggage company, so if they have to 
they can't go back to New York. They have to go somewhere else in the world. Then they would have to take luggage. And since they're rich, uh, they would their luggage would be Vuitton vagabonds. Okay, so that's some interesting uh, effort to the glossiest grifters. See, that's alliteration too. The glossiest grifters become Vuitton vagabonds. Okay, so was it worth it, Jared and? And Ivanka, and this is to quote a little bit of it, just five short years ago, Jared and Ivanka were dinner party royalty here in Manhattan. It's that kind of place. They had money, they had youth, they had celebrity. They were thin. I'm told that their manners were impeccable, so you'd never know that his father was an actual felon and her father a de facto one. Besides, you can't hold family against someone, can you? We don't choose how we're born, but from then on, we do make choices, and we're accountable for those. Jared and Ivanka are about to be held accountable. Close quote. And I said, this desire for revenge is so ugly, but I'll take Bruni's word for it, that it's impeccable manners within the context of dinner party royalty here in Manhattan. He said here, so he must know. Your side won. Why can't you be graceful about it? Will your next column be about how Joe Biden would bring everybody together if only the losing side weren't so intransigent? I mean, if uh, just to add to that, it, it, what, what frustrates me is this ugliness, this desire for revenge. The election has been won. I thought there was going to be an effort to bring us together. But instead, no, there's this de- desire for revenge. They must be held accountable. For what? What did they do? I'll put them all in prison. Um, That's, uh, well, you know, I know that Trump himself said lock her up about Hillary. So this idea that everyone must pay, it's not limited to one side or the other. But uh, it is truly, truly ugly. They were beautiful, but they must be treated in an ugly fashion. How dare they be beautiful? How dare they be tall and good-looking and thin and be rich? You know, of course, it's easy human nature to want to see uh, uh, the the bigger you are, the harder you, the big fall, you know. They're rich. Let's see them get poor. They're, they're tall and thin and beautiful. Let, let's see them become ugly. Let's see them brought low. Uh, you know. But that is kind of a low aspect of human nature to feel like that, you know. Maybe, maybe don't do that. Now, here's a piece from uh, Fatima Bojani in the New York Times. Uh, When I step outside, I step into a country of men who stare. Pakistan fails its women from the very top of government leadership to those who live in our homes. And I just put a little quote here. When I step outside, I step into a country of men who stare. I could be making the short walk from my car to the bookstore or walking through the aisles of the supermarket. I could be wrapped up in a shawl or behind two layers of face mask. But I will be followed by searing eyes x-raying me. Because here, it is culturally acceptable for men to gape at women unblinkingly as if we are all in a staring contest that nobody told half the population about, a contest, a contest hinged on a subtle form 
of psychological violence. Oh, and then there's one more thing, so let's get on with it. This is the question of whether in fictional stories and movies and so forth, people with disabilities, disfigurement, dis, um, uh, disfigurement, yeah, and or just some sort of physical ugliness, whether they're villains, whether for visual effect, this has been relied on in the movies. Uh, the article is in the New York Times. I have a lot of New York Times today. It's titled, Scary is How You Act, Not Look, Disability Advocates Tell Filmmakers, The Witches, a filmmaker, a film in which Anne Hathaway's character has disfigured hands, has resurfaced the debate over depicting evil as disabled. So in this movie, the Anne Hathaway character has two fingers and a thumb on each hand. So I guess they used makeup to combine two fingers and two fingers to make a, a hand with a thumb and then just two fingers. So the index finger and the middle finger were connected together and the ring finger and the little finger were connected together. And so they look like really strange hands, but there really are people with uh, birth defects where they um, called, there's something called split hands or ectrodactyly. So some people are really born like that, have hands in a very similar way. So why did they make a character and specifically present it as representing her evil uh, by, by creating this effect, this physical effect in the hand that is like, oh, the, the word I was stumbling over that I wanted to say, but I they didn't say, and I couldn't catch it, get it in my mind, disability disfigured. The word I thought I was trying to get to, I realize now is deformed. I guess it's um, maybe a disapproved of word that you shouldn't say deformed, but you can say disfigured, and you can say disabled, dis, d something about the language there that has to do with, I mean, I'm happy to use whatever language is most respectful to people that have a physical problem. And it kind of is bad to show someone in a movie who seems to have that kind of uh, physical problem and to use it as a way to get across the idea that they're evil. So the article says, for a long time there have been stages and screens, for as long as there have been stages and screens, disability and disfigurement, have been used as visual shorthand for evildoing, a nod to the audience that a character was a baddie to be feared. But disability rights advocates say this amounts not just to lazy storytelling, but stereotyping, further marginalizing an already stigmatized community that is rarely represented on screen. And other examples of uh, characters in movies are that, that are given by this article are, quote, the Joker, Lord Voldemort, all manner of scarred Bond villains and superhero antagonists, Dr. Poison, Freddy Krueger, the Phantom of the Opera, Shakespeare's hunchback butcheress Richard III. I don't know how uh, Shakespeare's Richard III got in there because the others were all about the movies, but suddenly we've got Richard III, and I think uh, he was a real character in history, and I think he actually was hunchbacked, wasn't he? Wasn't that at least based on a belief? about what he was like. But obviously when you do 
Richard III and he's a bad guy, you do portray him as having a hump. Maybe maybe sometimes they don't, but I think uh, I think there are references to it, and you get the idea that his in, imperfect looks are part of what's making him a bad person. Anyway, I said yes, but speaking of hunchbacks, the greatest disabled literary and movie character is a hero, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And I put a clip up from the Charles Lawton version of the Hunchback of Notre Dame when the Hunchback and Esmeralda first encounter each other as she gives him water. It's extremely moving, you know, and the people who are jeering at him, actually because of their jeering, they look ugly. So he has a face that is twisted into an ugly form by whatever happened to him that made him like that. But the people in the crowd who are watching him be punished are in their jeering. They're, they're deliberately, they're by their own will, twisting up their own face. And they actually look ugly in a way that's quite similar to the way he can't help but present as ugly. But so there's an ugliness that is just the way you look, the way you can't change. And there's the ugliness that's the nasty expression on your face. And it's very graphically depicted that the ugliness of the people in the crowd is so much worse. And then you see this very beautiful woman go up and show show pity for him, show empathy for him and help him. And it's extreme it's extremely moving. Of course, her beauty kind of does seem to embody her goodness. And the ugliness of the jeering faces does seem to embody their badness, but but doesn't it genuinely embody their badness? Because they're jeering. That's making fairly ordinary faces look especially ugly and ugly in a way that's oddly similar to the hunchback. Anyway, what do we think of beauty and ugliness? That's a big topic. I uh, I linked to um, Anne Hathaway's apology. And let me see if I can get the actual quote that she has here. Didn't go through to that. She said, um, big thanks to the Lucky Finn Project for allowing me to use this a video and that is oh oh there you heard some of the sound but uh, it shows some people saying who they are and you see that their body without their hands showing and then they lift up their hands and we see the kind of hands that they have they have this uh di- this di- disfigurement that uh does something to the fingers it's very similar to the fingers that were done through makeup to Anne Hathaway in this movie And she thanks him for letting her use the video. She says, I've recently learned that many people with limb differences, especially children, are in pain because of the portrayal of the Grand High Witch and the witches. Let me begin by saying, I do my best to be sensitive to the feelings and experiences of others, not out of some scrambling PC fear, but because not hurting others seems like a basic level of decency we should all be striving for. As someone who really believes in inclusivity and really, really detests cruelty, I owe you all an apology for the pain I caused. I'm sorry I did not connect limb difference with the GHW when the look of the character was brought to me. If I had, I assure you, this never would have happened. I particularly want to say I'm sorry to kids with limb differences. Now that I know better, I promise I'll do better. And I owe a special apology to everyone who loves you 
as fiercely as I love my own kids. I'm sorry I let your family down. If you're not already familiar, please check out the Lucky Finn Project and the Not A Witch hashtag to get a more inclusive and necessary perspective on limb difference. And uh, I saw someone in the comments was mocking the term limb difference. If it's a word that the group is using to group together physical problems that they have, I really don't see what's so difficult about it. Um, There must be something having to do with legs or feet as well as hands, or why would they say limb? I don't know. But they choose the name for their group, and I really don't see any reason not to simply agree with this, that to make, it's not just having an ugly villain or making a a deformed superhero character, um, but you're having a particular kind of birth defect, something particular with the hands that some people actually have, and they should have used their reputedly uh, great imaginations to come up with some other way to make the witch visually strange and striking and not to simply adopt something that there really are kids and adults who have. That's what I think about that. And I, I like the way Anne Hathaway put it, where she said she wasn't just cringing in a PC manner, but she really, she really cared. So um, I don't know why people aren't mentally awake enough to see themselves getting into trouble like this before they actually do it. But having done it, and obviously she wasn't the one that designed the makeup. She's just the face on the character. So she takes the hit. Having done it, I think she gave a good apology. There are lots of things we can apologize for. What would you like to apologize for? This kind of seems to link back to the post earlier in the podcast about Thanksgiving, where there was the idea of what do you, what more should you sacrifice? Give up Thanksgiving. Give up more. Give up more. Give up more. How much can you apologize? How much can you give up? At some point, it does seem to be this sniveling uh, PC nervousness. Uh, What do you want me to do? I'll do that. And and when I do that, you'll ask me to do something else. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. There is that problem. But I think apologizing for this hand makeup in the movie, I think that was actually pretty targeted and specific, Um, even though I don't think it's necessary to change the way movies are done so that the heroes aren't beautiful and the villains ugly. Man, if we can't do that, maybe we just shouldn't do film at all. Maybe we should switch to um, just reading because film is this visual medium. You have to show something. But uh, maybe it would be nice if we could have some more ugly heroes and some more beautiful villains. There are some beautiful villains, right? Do you think uh, the witch in Snow White is beautiful, right? There must be some like that. And I also think it would be nice if the lead characters in movies were more often unusual looking persons and not so much traditionally beautiful, which these days they look too much alike. They're just not interesting enough looking. I think in the old days, there used to be more unusual faces. We had faces then, you know, Gloria Swanson says in the uh, in the great movie Sunset Boulevard. And these days with the plastic surgery, there's a sameness, especially to the female faces. 
and it, they can be a little boring to watch or even to keep track of. You know, sometimes in movies, I have had trouble recognizing the person from scene to scene or thinking this is the same person because this is another person who's generically beautiful. I don't even get the story. Well, that's a different problem from offending people who don't like looks equated with good and bad. But I think that's enough for today. I'm going to just cut myself off.